Province, your premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. And this is going to be the final show of your province, your premier, until after the election. Uh, future shows to be determined. Uh, at this time, however, I will be speaking once again with Premier Danielle Smith about a few issues of the day. But again, it's your opportunity to speak with the Premier directly, to ask your questions, voice your concerns, whatever's on your mind. Please keep it short and respectful. Premier Smith, uh, I think, uh, again, to be determined until after the election. Well, let me make a commitment to you that if I still have this job on June the 1st, I absolutely will be back. But you know how it is. We get into election mode. My last cabinet meeting is on Tuesday, and so we'll be pretty much focused on election announcements at that point. And so i got to get out on the campaign trail and earn people's support. You bet. Now... Uh, I've got some questions, as usual, before we hit the phone and text lines. And by the way, those phone and text lines uh, are full already uh, and, and lots of great topics. You're taking some flack in the media over your announcement yesterday of limiting questions from the media during the election campaign. We've got continued calls for you to clarify your views and convictions. There was a $5 million funding announcement this week for mental health spending. Uh, and even after the number of shows we've done since you became UCP leader and premier, this show still gets all kinds of texts and phone calls about the affordability payments mm -hmm. and what kind of support is available in terms of rent and housing. So that's what I want to talk about. We'll try and get to them uh, throughout the show. But let's start with the limits on media questions. In my former news career, I was in dozens of media scrums questioning a variety of people, including a host of prime ministers, politicians, police, and others from all professions and walks of life. And I appreciate that being in the glare of the spotlight can be intimidating. And admittedly, you know, from being on the other side of it, many of those questions can be repetitive. But we, the media, we took very seriously our obligation and responsibility to ask those tough questions. And your critics say, quote, leaders take questions, it's part of the job. So why adopt this policy now to limit media questions? 100%. Media, media have always been welcome to every one of my press conferences. Media, we don't, we don't unlike the NDP, we don't pick and choose which media are allowed to participate in our conferences. They've got a number of media outlets that they won't let participate in their media conferences. The change was that instead of being able to give each reporter the ability to ask two questions, reporters are now able to ask one question. And it's so that we can get to more media outlets because as we get into the election campaign, there's going to be far more interest. We've got dozens of media in Alberta. And if I, if everyone was asking two questions, it means we'd have fewer that we were able to get to. So it's because it's of time commitment, because of time. Yeah, because you, you do. You, well, you can't you, you, you just can't do hour long uh, uh, press conferences. It just it, you, you just can't do that. I mean, on on Friday, we had um, a, a people standing behind me who had been standing there for an hour. And I had a couple of them afterwards saying that they were beginning to feel faint. Like you have to be, you have to be mindful that there is not just about one person receiving the questions. We want to make sure we get to as many questions from as many media outlets as possible. So the change was simply, sorry, instead of being able to have everyone ask two questions, everyone's now or, or able to more, ask more. As the case could be, you know, having been in those scrum situations, you get someone who wants to keep pressing a point. Well, and, and here's, I guess, the, the, the what I found really interesting is that when I have these kinds of call-in shows, I get completely different questions being asked to me. When I do my town halls, and I did, I, I did tons of town halls this week. I was in Sherwood Park. I was in Gibbons. I was in St. Albert. I'm going to a town hall this afternoon. I'm doing a Filipino town hall tonight. I answer questions all the time from all kinds of people. And we are going to continue doing media availabilities. We're going to continue doing scrums. We're going to continue doing town halls. It's just each media outlet 
We'll get one question instead of getting two while we're in this period of the campaign because I, I just need to make sure that we're getting to as many people as possible. All right. How do you respond to questions about whether Albertans can trust what you say? Just two days ago, one of my real estate clients asked that very question because of statements you made before you won the UCP leadership compared to your position now. And a key example, of course, is the recent public health care guarantee that was announced this week. And that contradicts your pre-UCP position in which you did call for a user pay system. So what changed? I can I can tell you the way political parties work. I know people think that a leader gets to just race out there and make policy on the fly and everything she says becomes an edict. I know that pe- that's people's perceptions. That's not how I work. The way I work is I respect our party process of passing policy. One of the first things I did when we were trying to figure out what our mandate should be is I looked at our member pass policy. I asked my caucus colleagues what they wanted to run on and I asked my cabinet colleagues what their priorities were. It's a very grassroots process and i can tell you there is not a single ucp cabinet member caucus member or member that i have talked to that says that they want to make people pay for a family doctor not a single one we will not be asking people to pay for a family doctor full stop we will not be asking people to pay out of pocket for surgical services in fact if you look at our record our record is we remove user fees our record is that we give more coverage We have given more coverage to mental health than has ever been before because we look at mental health as being an essential part of our healthcare system. We went from 87 million in funding to 275 million in funding. Rachel Notley had $40 per day fees on publicly funded beds. We removed that $40 per day fee. She hasn't said whether or not she'd bring it back. I mean, I think maybe what she's doing is deflecting on me because she knows that her record on this has not been great. We have made sure that we have increased the amount of funding to our surgical suites in all of our hospitals so that we can increase the amount of surgeries. Um, And we also have charter surgical centers that have allowed us to do 20% more surgeries. She hasn't said on whether she's going to shut those down. In fact, if you look at her leader, Jagmeet Singh, he talks about shutting them down all the time. How do we increase the amount of publicly paid for surgeries if we're eliminating 20% of our capacity? So I think she's got a lot to answer for. Our record is very clear. All right. Healthcare is is definitely one of the, is the biggest single issue for Albertans, I would, I would say. Uh, your government has uh, recently announced uh, this week, $5 million on a mental health program for people being held in police custody in Calgary. Now, What does your government hope to accomplish with this program and will it be rolled out province-wide? One of the things that we know we need to do is we've got to tackle the full spectrum of mental health issues. So we have announced a a $92 million support program for CASA, which is an organization that provides mental health support in-house and in-school for kids. That will be expanded out to Calgary and Fort McMurray. They've already been doing great work out of Sherwood Park because we know that if we can make sure that we're supporting young people as they're having mental crises, it might not escalate to something worse, which could be addiction. But in addition, we have to fund all of the addiction treatments. So part of what we're doing is not only having our recovery communities, the first one being open in Red Deer, there'll be others that will be opening on uh, on, uh, the... uh, uh, the, the blood reserve as as well as in Calgary and Lethbridge very soon and a couple of other announcements that will be coming out in the in the coming weeks but in addition to that 
in corrections facilities, we know a lot of people arrive in a corrections facility with severe mental health and addiction issues. So we want to make sure that we are uh, providing an avenue for them to be able to get support and treatment as well. Mental health is, I mean, we've been doing the, the Bell Let's Talk tweets and support for years, we, but we, you actually have to put money and effort and programming and commitment behind and boots the, on the action. Ground. Absolutely, right. we have to. So that's the, that's the mental health part of it. Okay. But the other side of it, as you know, Wayne, is we're getting tough on crime. We just, we cannot tolerate what I've been seeing every single day, every, almost every day this past week, somebody has sent me some new tweet or story about a stabbing that occurred on an Edmonton LRT or stabbings that are occurring or, in or the streets shootings. of Calgary, Calgary or shootings at the Safeway in Kensington. Yeah. We, we, this cannot become the new normal right. in, any of, in any of our cities and certainly not in, in Calgary and Edmonton. So we are going to take a compassionate approach. We have to. We understand that there are underlying issues but we also have to take a tough a tough approach because we cannot continue to have this public disorder all right health care is a question that jeff has from edmonton jeff hold on just a few more minutes we're going to pause for a break i'm wayne nelson i'll be back with premier danielle smith more of your calls and texts when we return on your province your premier if you're just joining us today, you are listening to the final show of Your Province, Your Premier, at least until after the provincial election and uh, future shows to be determined, I guess. Uh, in Edmonton, 6.30, Chad, you're heard right here in Calgary on QR Calgary, your opportunity to be heard by Premier Danielle Smith. Now, Jeff has been holding on, uh, uh, gosh, what time is it? Before the show. Uh, so Jeff in Edmonton has a question about health care. Go ahead, Jeff. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Thank, thank you so much. Uh, good morning, Premier Smith. Hey, Jeff. Uh, you, you, hi, you spoke a few moments ago about healthcare being a, a grassroots process, and I consider myself to be part of the grassroots in the sense that much of my life, most of my life, I've been a UCP or conservative or even a wild rose supporter. And when I heard comments made from you earlier in the past, I guess many months ago, about there possibly being an opportunity for some healthcare services to be paid for by users. I thought, you know what, this, I, I thought that that makes some sense because our healthcare system and our economy in general, but healthcare in particular, is particularly stressed. And there are some services, and perhaps sometimes even for a family doctor, I believe, that these services can be paid for. That's the economic reality we live in. Now I find myself as a longtime conservative very confused and honestly as being part of the grassroots, and I think the base of the UCP really, I find myself lost because after your current comments now that, you know, there will never be any paid for out-of-pocket or family doctor healthcare services, I don't know where I stand anymore. And I find really, I'm really confused, and it seems to be changing all the time. And I, because I thought that actually made some sense. So I'm wondering if you can explain that, especially to those people that have supported the UCP along that, a long time and, and feel the same way I do. Well, thanks for that, Jeff. Like, here's here's the issue: is that I think that the uh, the NDP are trying to confuse people, absolutely, because we are in process of figuring out how to establish health spending accounts for every single Albertan. They're two different things. When you go to a family doctor, they bill the province directly. When you need a, he a knee replacement, they bill the the province directly. That part is not going to change. But what we need to change is, um, as a politician, you as taxpayers pay for me to have a health spending account. 
You give me $950 so that I can buy glasses. I can go get my eyes checked. If I have bunions, I can go get my feet checked. I can get uh, the extra payment for my pharmaceuticals or my dentistry. I can go to a chiropractor, an acupuncturist. And so taxpayers are paying for those things for me, whereas regular Albertans are paying for those out of pocket. I don't think that's fair. It seems to me that we will not change anything that is currently publicly funded. When you go to your doctor, they will continue to bill directly. When you get your knee replacement, it will continue to bill directly. But we want to be able to empower you with a house spending account so you can pay for all the things that you currently have to pay for 100% out of pocket. And I, I know that the NDP are trying to confuse those two things because they want to score political points. And I'm trying to be as clear as I possibly can. But what we want to do is make sure that we have more capacity for people to be able to get more of the coverage that they need and put the choice back in their hands. So that's the approach that I, that I want to take. And that's the direction that we would need to go. All right, text message uh, from 630. Chad, uh, Premier, if mental health care is so critical and your government is doing so much, why are we paying $210 an hour for psychological services for an eight-year-old because there are not sufficient publicly funded services available? Well, we started off with uh, with the addiction treatment beds because we knew that those were $40 per day and it was acting as a barrier. And there's a huge connection between um, addiction and mental health. There's a lot of people who self-medicate and end up getting into a position of addiction. So we knew we had to tackle it there because once somebody becomes addicted and loses their ability to make decisions on their own lives, they end up on the streets, they end up homeless, they end up victims of organized crime and drug, ad- and drug dealers. And so we knew that we had to deal with this issue this issue in the crisis level first so we're building that whole system out the 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 second part is how do we support mental uh, mental health better and so one of the things that we have done is we've created a 211 line i want people to know that that's available you can call and get same day counseling services and that's going to be the the beginning of us expanding that system out. As I mentioned, we've given enormous resources to our K to twelve education system to deal with mental health. We have uh, we've been funding the uh, outside nonprofit CASA that I'd mentioned to give mental health support to kids. And we're going to expand this system out. We we can't do everything all at once. I mean, we're in, we're four years into an eight year plan. But I can tell you, we are miles ahead of any other province because we identified this issue early. My chief of staff, Marshall Smith is the foremost expert in North America on mental health and addiction. I can tell you, he and I talk about this every single day. We talk about ways in which we can address the mental health and addiction crisis. And we're, we're not done yet. We, have, uh, we need to win four more years, and we're, we're going to keep on doing more. All right, text message from uh, Chad. Uh, it starts off, I don't think you'll read this text, but here goes. And uh, then there's a little novel published. Uh, however, it all has to do with the uh, statement that you made, uh, and I addressed this off the top of the show, about your uh, pre-leadership, uh, uh, pre-UCP uh, comments. Uh, the paper that you wrote, it says, it goes on to say, I don't believe a leopard changes its spots, so let me ask you directly, do you now categorically reject what you wrote in that paper, yes or no? Please do not provide a smoke and mirrors type of answer. Three things that I wrote in that paper. Number one, we needed to become debt-free, and we're on a path to become debt-free. Number two, we needed to shore up our savings, and we are keeping the uh, Heritage Savings Trust Fund uh, uh, investment income so that we can shore up savings. Number three, I said that we needed to um, to develop health spending accounts to deal with all of the things that are currently not covered by health care. That's the key, is when you go to a family doctor, we, the, the doctor will bill the province directly and you will not pay. When you go get a knee surgery, the, provi- the province will be billed directly, you will not pay. But we want to create a mechanism 
for the things that you are currently paying 100% out of pocket for to give you a little bit of, of, uh, of a head start with some dollars so that you can defray the cost of those. So that's the, that's the, that, those are the things that I've run by my caucus, by my cabinet, and th- those are the things that we're developing. All right. Uh, Pete from Calgary has texted in, Liberal NDP focus on more tax, but don't present a plan for revenue growth and debt reduction. How are you supporting economic growth, especially for small and medium businesses sector? It re- uh, it represents 52% of the jobs. One of the things that I've noticed with a lot in the small and medium business sector is there are many, many businesses that provide services to the large companies. And so one of the things that we did, and it's been so successful, is we sent a message to the world that we were open for business. And so uh, the NDP had raised corporate income taxes. And the remarkable thing is they raised the rate and it reduced the amount of revenue because businesses stopped investing. They fled the province. We actually went through a a massive recession, lost 183,000 jobs, and we've only just recovered from the NDP recession. We only now just have more jobs than we had prior to uh, uh, prior to 2015. So so that's I think a measure of what happens when you reduce the tax. We reduced it down to 8%. We've had massive amounts of investments announced here, and that has knock-on effects on small and medium businesses. And so we're going to keep on doing that. We have seen a huge increase in the amount of investment in technology. We are developing a really incredible ecosystem for for new tech startups. Uh, before it was only 30 million a year. Year. Last year it was 729 million, and it's through things like the Alberta Enterprise Corporation and Alberta Innovates partnering with some of those young entrepreneurs to be able to support them. There's probably more that we can do, but I think that when you look at the environment that we have, we believe that part of the issue that uh, that, that we have that makes us the best place in the in the province to continue to come and and, uh, and invest and and create jobs is that if we had the tax structure of the next closest province. People would be paying $20 billion in additional taxes. The fact that we have lower fuel taxes, the fact that we've got lower personal income tax rates, the fact that we've got lower corporate income tax rates, the fact that we don't have a, have a PST, all of these things are an advantage to anybody who is locating here. And we'll uh, hopefully have a few more things that we can announce during the election campaign, but I don't want to preempt our platform. All right. Uh, Diane is calling in from Calgary. Uh, handicap parking issue. Go ahead, Diane. Hi, Danielle. My son and elderly neighbor both had to pay their GP $110 to sign a form to get their handicap signed and $225 for the CRA disability tax credit as they can't walk without a device. $40 is reasonable. $225 is two weeks without food. This is double dipping because GPs get paid by the Alberta government for their appointment. And a lot of people are afraid now that if, they, if something isn't done, the GPs will start charging for prescriptions. I personally feel that this is extortion and discrimination against the handicapped and elderly. NDP only care about the doctors. We need you to care about the rest of us. Well, thank you so much for that, Diane. I must tell you, this is the first time that I have heard of charges for these types of, of uh, services. So I'm going to have to circle back with uh, with Jason Copping. If, if we need to do a, a release on this, I'd, I'd be happy to, to get him to, to arrange that. When it comes to prescriptions, the nice, the nice part is that we are making sure that we expand the ability of our pharmacists to, to do prescribing services. So if uh, I, I think that that is one of the things that will prevent what you fear is that if there's always another option for a person to be able to get the needed service that they need through another source, I, I suspect that will happen. But I, I, I must tell you, it surprises me on those other two 
Google. I'll see if somebody's able to get me an answer to them. But thanks for raising it, Diane. Diane made a good point, uh, too, and that's the affordability aspect of things. And uh, your government came out with the affordability program uh, earlier this year. Uh, there were some glitches here and there. How are things right now? Have all of the fixes been made? Are people getting their money? Are there more opportunities for a greater number of people in categories that were uh, that were missed? I'm going to say that this is one of the greatest successes of our government, is that we were able to conceive of an idea, set up a portal, and be able to get 1.2 million payments out with only a small number of uh, people not getting their payment because they made an error in putting their banking information in. So when I look at that, especially since uh, the the NDP hacked our healthcare system before and crashed the system, I wanted to make sure that this was hack-proof, that they wouldn't be able to do that again. And it, it, it didn't crash. It was slow for a number of hours, but it never ended up crashing. And as I say, the two issues that needed to be corrected is that people needed the ability to go online and edit their banking information if they put it in wrong. So we, we corrected that at the end of March. So anybody who um, in, in a, who hasn't received a payment should go and double check if they uh, put their banking information in wrong. The second one was that some people went to the registry to get their, yes. uh, their, their payments and the registry input their banking information wrong. That took a different patch because it was a different uh, way of accessing the portal. And that one has been fixed as of April the 4th. So anybody who went to a registry to get uh, signed up and needs to go in and correct their banking information, they now have the ability to do that. So I just, I'm, I had a number of people tell me, well, why not just use CRA? Well, CRA is about to go on strike. That's one of the reasons not to use CRA. <laughs> just when we needed to be able to have people having their payments, we might not have been able to get them processed. But the other thing is I wanted to, to build the internal capacity. I, I am so proud that our public service was able to work together collaboratively between different departments. And I, our, my two ministers, Matt Jones and Nate Glubish, were able to collaborate the, on this and get it out within two months. When, when organizations learn how to do those things well, it allows them to be able to constantly be continuing and improving. So I look at that as one of our big successes. Where are we right now in terms of the affordability program? Will there be any another any other announcements on additional uh, rebates uh, or help or subsidies uh, in terms of the affordability issues? Well, we, we have run out of time and we wanted to put enough runway into the program so that they didn't end as soon as the campaign uh, began because we thought that it was important to have that continuity. So it's part of the reason why we set the payments to be $100 per child and $100 per senior and $100 per person on disability so that they could get it month after month. Um, we've got three months that have, have been done. The next payment will come out in April. There'll be a, a, another payment that will come out seamlessly in May, and then there'll be another payment that comes out in June. And if we get reelected, then we'll have a conversation about whether or not that needs to be continued. But at least we now have the architecture in place so that we have the ability to extend it if we find that we're still in, that we're still in trouble. The um, the other payments for the support for electricity, we were giving $75 rebates in January and February, 25 in March and April. So those will come to an end. But again, this is a period of time where electricity rates go down. So if, if we need to, to consi consider doing something else, we'll have to do that when we get into the into the winter season. We have made the decision that we are just not going to be car charging the fuel tax on gasoline and diesel because the federal government came through with, with an carbon increased tax. carbon tax. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't believe that the NDP keep talking about affordability, and yet the number one 
thing that is driving affordability issues and driving up the cost of everything is the cost of energy. And yet they've just gone and increased it. So now we've got a federal carbon tax. It's 14 cents a liter. We took off our fuel tax of 13 cents a liter. So we've almost been able to offset the problems that we've seen created at the federal level. But that is going to make a big difference. And we already have seen it because the rest of the country is seeing a 5.6% inflation rate year over year. Alberta is 3.6%. Economists have said it's because of the measures that we've taken. They're going to continue through to the end of June, and then we'll have to reassess if there's more we need to do. Okay. Can I just say one more on that? The other question that had come up (laughs) was on CPP disability yes. and it was it was a whole absolutely and part of the reason is that we didn't that CPP disability is a, is a federal uh, federal federally administered program so we had to figure out how we would be able to cover those 25,000 and Matt Jones once again was set to work on it and he has uh, he, he'll be delivering a a, a a check payment to each of those 25,000 people they won't have to go through our portal we have to just do it a different way because it's a different database and it's a different a way of getting the money out. So we, we made sure that we closed that gap as well. It was just an oversight. All right. Uh, Kathy has a question about downtown crime uh, in Calgary. Go ahead, get Kathy. Uh, hi there. Thank you very much, Premier Smith, for taking my call today. Um, yeah, my question does relate to crime. Uh, as you mentioned already, it's, you know, every day there's something new happening in the city, a new stabbing, a new shooting. Um, there's an article in the Herald today talking about how it is how it feels and i relate to it um as a woman going downtown because it is it is a scary place these days um i just want to comment that both mayor gondek and premier notley have been for defunding the police in the past and i do wonder why the media hasn't um, confronted them on those past positions but my question for you premier is you know i know you've committed to more police which is a, a good start but what is your plan for the next four years if you do um, win, um, you know, more police, but, but what else, where do we go from there? Because the situation, as, as far as I, as I can tell and I'm, I'm feeling, is, it's just out of control. Well, let me tell you a couple of things. So thank you for your, your question. And I, I think what, it, what, what may have happened is that because most, of, most people were working from home over the last two and a half years just because of the pandemic, I think there was an expectation, oh, well, once people get back to work, then things will return to normal. And they haven't. What has happened is that we've ended up with more conflict between those who are on the streets um, and those who are addicted and those who actually mean serious harm. People who are carrying around guns and knives and involved in gangs and organized crime. Those are people who we need to be taking a very strong policing uh, effort towards. So I'll be meeting, I'm working on a meeting with the Alberta Chiefs of of Police. We've got seven independent municipal police forces, including three Indigenous forces. I want to talk with them because all of the premiers are meeting next week with the Canadian Chiefs of Police. They have asked for us to make this a priority at every level of government. We already have by the actions that we've taken. We identified this when I first got elected that we needed to do something about it. It's why put Mike Ellison as our our public safety minister and he has been working on ways that we can fill some of the gaps. We started with embedding sheriffs. We also have our PAC teams which brings in social workers to connect people with the services they need. We've announced that we're doing um, that we're adding a hundred additional police police, uh, uh, officers to both Calgary and Edmonton and we will keep on doing more until we solve this problem. But the big issue we have to deal with now and I'm glad the Canadian chiefs have taken such a strong position on it, is we must stop the catch and release. That was a policy change that happened under the Trudeau government where we are not allowed to keep bad dudes behind bars. We have to release them into the community. And it shouldn't surprise anyone that when somebody is committing serious violent assaults that they just keep on doing it. Uh, The two stats, I think I shared this last week, but this is how serious it's gotten. 
In Edmonton, there are 26 homicides that have been committed. And in Calgary, it's 23 homicides that have been committed in the last three years by people who would have otherwise been behind bars, held because they wouldn't have been able to make bail. And Chris has texted in saying, Premier, unbelievably in Alberta, there is no dedicated police staff to pick up people on outstanding warrants. Will you strike a task force to pick up these people? You know what? I can tell you what Mike is doing. He is looking for every possible way that we can expand out the, the purview of our Alberta sheriffs. We have about 850 sheriffs right now. They've been doing courthouse and prisoner transfer, but we've added a specialized gang unit, a specialized organized crime unit. We've added a specialized unit to go to the border to look at gun smuggling and people smuggling and fentanyl smuggling. And I'll I'll make a note of that because uh, picking up people on outstanding warrants, that, that seems to fall right in the purview of the sheriff so if he if he hasn't already started working on that then uh then i'll, I'll make sure to, to give him a nudge but we, we have to it's all it's a full court press it's it's we're also supporting every municipal government who wants to explore ways of having their own municipal policing so that they have more resources on the ground we have 15 different uh different municipalities who have asked for grants and help and support on that we're happy to do even more of that because i think that we've now realized that if you don't invest properly in police if you demoralize your police force with things like defund the police campaigns that the, the guys on the other side kept on uh, asking for, then it becomes hard to recruit. We are wanting to restore the confidence in our police service. We want them to know that we are supporting them. We want to train them properly so that they know how to respond to mental health and addiction calls and where to put uh, folks who are or who uh, so that they can get the supports that they need. But we've got to be reinvesting in our police at all levels, and, and we've already started that. We're going to do more until until we solve this problem. Public disorder and crime and tent cities and having to, to walk past open doorways where people are doing open drug use, that is not going to continue to happen in Alberta. It's got to stop. All right. Daryl is calling in from Diamond Valley with a low-income housing question. So go ahead, Daryl. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Good morning, man, Premier. Uh, back when Ralph Klein was Premier quite a few years ago, there was a program in place of uh, by the Alberta government. Uh, we built a house through it. It was called Rural Native Housing, and there were stipulations. It was for low-income people. Uh, we built a house through it, and uh, uh, quite a few families built uh, houses. Like, uh, we're in Diamond Valley, which used to be Black Diamond, and it helped us a lot, and it helped a lot of other low-income families. Is that program still in place? And if it isn't, should it be started again and set up again? We we have an announced um, through a number of different programs how we're going to be able to support the development of more seniors facilities and continuing care as as well as affordable housing and housing affordability. All of these things are vitally important. We also have a rental assistance program because we've seen that that rents have gone up a bit um, in the in the last year or so. But we know that we need to create an environment where more housing stock is going to, to come on stream. And so through the, the uh, seniors community and so social services. We have got a number of programs that we're supporting housing through there. And I'll, I'll just uh, make it, I, I know that my staff is listening to me, so I'll just make a note to, to Becca to just send me a few more details on that so I can tell you about it. But it is, it's it's exactly the kind of approach that we need to take. One of the uh, facilities that I, I visited in Edmonton, and we've partnered with them, 
It's a convalescence facility for those who are, are homeless as they get injured and need a, a place to recover from. And they've managed to build out these units for $80,000 a unit, which is remarkable. That's that's far less than anything I've seen. And that's the reason why we want to partner with the private sector is because they will find new innovative ways to be able to build these facilities so that we can get more of them on online in every single community. So thanks for your support. I'll see if, um, if I can get some more details about exactly where that program situates. And then uh, if you need to apply for it or you know somebody wants to apply for it you'll know where to go all right we're going to take this text message before we go to break uh this is from john and his service dog uh john says i was denied access to calgary city hall with my service dog i tried the high road information education goes nowhere filed a human rights complaint it's accepted uh get the city calgary never responded to the alberta human rights commission i just filed my third human rights complaint against the sheriffs for not letting us in the courthouse and that one just got in the mailbox an hour ago my understanding uh premier smith is that alberta has to sign on to some kind of a, of a service animal program that is part of it comes under the federal umbrella, and I don't think we're there yet. Hmm. We are with guide dogs across Canada. That's fairly uh, consistent, but each province has to sign on to its own program under this hmm. companion animal uh, program. Well, maybe that's what the barrier has been, because I, I, I think that uh, service dogs, especially since they are prov- providing a broader range of emotional support for people, vitally important for people who suffer social anxiety, people who have PTSD, uh, people who are recovering from assault, sexual assault. I just met another service dog at one of the sexual assault centers I visited last week. It's it's a vitally important part of, of it, mental it, health. It is, and they don't have the same protections. Uh, and that's through my research that I had done on a on a separate uh, issue well, of my own. Well, I didn't realize that that was uh, the barrier. So uh, I feel very strongly that if people need a, an emotional support animal, that that we should be facilitating that rather than than uh, creating barriers to it. Uh, I I have to figure out which uh, department that falls under i've been sitting here racking my brain thinking is that a mike ellis issue in public safety or because of courthouses or is that another area of of, uh, of our government again it's it's we've run out of, of time to solve everything i really i only had five months to be able to address issues and so it goes into my into my notebook for a, a june 1st solution i hope all right and uh, we are going to pause for that break we will come back we will wrap up our final segment of our final show before the election in your province, your premier. Wayne Nelson back with you on your province, your premier, your opportunity for a few weeks to speak with Premier Danielle Smith one-on-one. Again, uh, this is going to be our last show until after the election, and then whatever happens uh, in the election will determine what happens with this show, I guess. Uh, If you've got a specific question you'd like the Premier to answer, uh, phone or text, you know the numbers. David has been hanging on for uh, several minutes. He's got an electricity question calling in from Edmonton. Go ahead, David. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Thanks. Hi, Danielle. Just for your information very quickly, um, as a senior, I have to have a license renewed every two years. It's costing me $100 to get the medical for that because apparently it goes directly to the doctor because it's not covered by AHS. They're already talking about increasing that amount, Mm. just for your information. Um, My question is this simple. Your family's in business. If you need a particular product and you have to go to several different suppliers to get the quantity you need, all at different prices, would you then pay everybody the highest price you've had to pay? 
You'll have no. to be a bit no. more specific about as you're applying it to electricity. What are you observing as a problem here? The, the electricity board goes and asks different generators for how much they can supply and the price. But regardless of what everybody quotes, they all get paid for the, the last bucket of electricity, and that could be five times what the first one. The whole idea of setting up privately was to get competition. We don't have competition. Everybody gets paid the highest price for that last bucket of electricity. Right. You're, so that's how the day-to-day the -day spot market works. The, the way that people get the option of having lower fees is by signing on to long-term contracts. I mean... Doesn't make any difference, Danielle. No, it does. It does, Dave. Like I, if, I signed if, on to a long-term contract at five point nine cents a kilowatt hour. I know somebody who signed on at six point nine cents a kilowatt hour. I know that if you stayed on the regulated rate option, it would have spiked up to twenty nine cents a kilowatt hour. So we, we're trying to get people to 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 look at all of the different retailers and sign on to longer-term contracts because that's the only way that we're going to be able to get price stability. It doesn't. It doesn't make any difference because. There is no such thing as a spot market in that sense. This is a 30-day contract. I'm on a controlled rate. It's a 30-day contract. Nobody that's generating power is going to build a new power station if their contracts with the users are only going to be 30 days. 100%. Uh, you and I, let's find some area of agreement there. And I can tell you that Matt Jones, our affordability and utilities minister, has identified the same thing, that we, we are now in a position where we, uh, when you see the, the regulated rate spike up to 29 cents a kilowatt hour, that's a sign of a market that is not working. And it's not working for, I think, the reason that you described. People need to have, uh, and, and generators need to have, a longer term high time horizon so that they have a certainty that they're going to be able to make their money back. Totally agree with you on that. But it is a post-election problem. It's a really, it's a really complicated issue that has a lot of moving parts to it. But I, I've, I've seen and watched enough to know that it's not working as it is, and we need to, to make some changes so that it works better. We should have the lowest electricity rates in the entire country. We're sitting on a natural gas basin. Most of our, our electricity generation is natural gas. It makes no sense to see these kinds of price spikes. So we're, we're working on, on figuring out how to fix that. Richard has texted in on the Ched line. He said uh, Premier Smith had mentioned earlier that auto insurance rates will stay frozen for this year. Just got by renewal, 15% increase. No tickets or accidents from last year. Asked my agent, and he blames new government rules for the increase. Can the Premier shine some light on this? That's that's not the case. I mean, in the fall, there were a number of rate increases that the rate board approved, and some of them were, as as he's described, six, uh, 15%. That's why when in January we came through and we said, let's freeze this process. No more rate increases are going to be approved for the next year until we figure out what the heck is going on because i can tell you um i used to i used to be able to have friends who'd come here from other provinces and say oh my goodness alberta's got the lowest insurance in the country and now they all say wow alberta has the highest insurance in the country so there's something that's that's not working and we have to figure out what that is i don't know if it's that we have a lot higher risk rating because we've had so many natural disasters in the last 10 years with the floods and the hailstorm and the fires um, or if it's that we have a much more expensive vehicles that we have to, to repair because fender benders used to cost a few hundred bucks to fix. Now they're costing $10,000 because the cameras are all in the bumper and there's hidden damage. So we've got we've to really dig in.
and find out what the problems are here. So I'm, we're, we're motivated to work on that, but we needed to freeze the rates as we do that investigation. Kelly has a question. She's calling in from Edmonton. It's an ACE question. Mm. Haven't had one for a while. Well, one that I've put to air because we have addressed ACE many times, but uh, perhaps this is an issue that needs to be addressed again. Kelly, go ahead. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Yeah, hi, Premier uh, Smith. Uh, and it's a uh, he, not a she, Wayne, oh. but no problem. It's <laughs> okay. Um, my question uh, is actually more of a concern, uh, Premier. Um, my sister, my developmentally delayed sister, uh, 63 years old, um, is on age and has been for a long time. Um, we just got noticed that uh, my sister, my other sister actually handles most of this, but nevertheless, uh, that she's going to be cut off at the end of April now. Um, and it's because her assets, which is just monetary, it's money, is over $100,000 due to inheritance. And, and, a, and another bank account that was set up by my family to put money into so that when the time comes and she goes to a senior's lodge or whatever, obviously she'll have some money. Uh, here's the kicker too, is that she's on Savita, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and uh, when they do the annual review for her, they, there will be no income from H, which uh, will raise red flags because um, uh, there's only a certain amount. I think it's 25000 she's allowed, which in turn, basically, she could end up losing both H and her Savita in one fell swoop. And, uh, and then we start digging into her, her trust fund, call it, and uh, that could be depleted quite quickly. Now, from my understanding, it was $200,000 with H up to about five years ago or six years ago when they lowered it to 100000 Well, did they think things were going to go mm. get cheaper with the cost of living, inflation, and everything? You know, she didn't get, doesn't get CERB. She doesn't uh, get CPP. You know, so I'm just, uh, I'm just wondering, like, what is your, do you have any comments about that? I do. How old is your sister, first of all? Well, here's the thing, too. She's 63. She'll be, uh, she's got a year and a half left on age. Oh, boy. Uh, she'll be 65 in September of well, a year and a half from now. So yeah. nevertheless, again, um, so what, like, I'm like a year and a half. They, you don't you think that they could just let her keep going. But the thing is, is from according to my other sister, she's been speaking to a rep there, and it's just really black and white. Yeah. Uh, they don't know how, any of the real the details or anything like that. They just have their uh, criteria that they go by. Okay, you're here. Okay, sorry, but you have to be cut off, blah, 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 right? I hope you can call Jeremy Nixon's office. So he is our, our minister because this sounds like it needs a bit of a, a case management approach. And oftentimes when I hear these kinds of stories, I, th- I, 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 I would bring them forward to the minister to see if there's a way that he can manage it. There's a few things that I, I think we have to repair as we look forward. One is, and I've heard this before, that as soon as you hit age 65, now all of a sudden you get switched over to another program. And sometimes those other programs are less money. And when people get used to living on a certain amount of money, you can't just uh, you can't just see those kind of decreases. So I'm very sensitive to that. I hadn't heard that they had reduced the amount of money you're allowed to have in a trust fund. So that hadn't come up at, at uh, cabinet. So that might be a previous uh, decision that had been made. But uh, based on what you've said, it looks like we may need to address that because we try to be quite generous on age. First of all, we, we have the highest payments in the country. We, we didn't qualify for the rent subsidy, as a, for instance, at the federal level, because our age payments are over 21000 a year, and they only do rental support for those earning under under twenty one under 20000 So we, we know that, that our, our rate on a monthly basis is um, 
is probably it's, it's more generous than the rest of the country. Plus, we allow for people to earn a certain amount of market income until so that before having any clawbacks, and we also cover the uh, the, the prescription drugs. So I know how important that package of supports are, and we don't want to be making any arbitrary decisions on somebody, especially if they're getting to um, an age or they have a kind of condition where they're not going to be able to have market uh, income supporting them. So if you wouldn't mind contacting Jeremy Nixon's office, we, we don't go into we don't officially launch the campaign until May the 1st. And so you've got a little bit of a window here of two weeks to see if uh, if he can assign that to somebody to see if they can solve the problem for you. But if it requires a policy change, that'll uh, let's talk about this again June 1st, because I, I'm, I'm very concerned about uh, people coming up against these kind of arbitrary drop-off points in, in, uh, in our programs and not getting the support they need. That's really stressful for everyone. We still have a full board of uh, calls. We've got tons of text messages. We're just not going to be able to get to them all. And uh, we have about a minute and a half left. Question on the text line. In the interest of fair and balanced representation, why has the Alberta Opposition Party not been allowed equal time to the Premier's time to speak to Alberta citizens? And I'm presuming that has to do with the uh, debate structure that is uh, coming Or maybe this show, but that's part of the reason why now that my cabinet meeting ends next Tuesday, I feel like most of the issues that I'll be talking about will be campaign related. And, you know, in the interest of fairness, I used to be in this business too. I know that when you get into campaigns, you have to give balanced and fair coverage to everyone. And so um, we've made the, the decision and and uh, the station has too that this will be the last show all right and so uh that, that that'll and then maybe i'll be just on as a guest and the other the other parties can too but i i think it's really important this is gonna be a, an important election campaign and we want to get right to it selling our message elections alberta has had to revise some of its messaging for voters a little bit of confusion there um so there's that and then if people have questions about the general election campaign where is the best place to go to get that information well i have uh, danielle smith.ca directs to the the website for the party that's where i will be getting if people want to go online that's the easiest way to do it i have always got my twitter handle up ab danielle smith i'm on facebook i'm on uh, instagram i do regular town hall meetings i uh, have events in uh, in communities uh, across the province and so i'm, I'm those of those are all posted on our website so i'm, I'm happy to, to have people uh, and is there a place where someone can go that is uh, not partisan politics for well, we're kind of getting into the partisan politics. I thought that's what they were asking about the election campaign. The uh, but always uh, Alberta.ca. That's the right. the place to get the the nonpartisan information. And I should also mention constituency offices. Constituency offices are nonpartisan. Uh, I've got a couple of gals in my office in um, in Brooks Medicine Hat who do a tremendous job managing the kind of cases like your previous caller had. If somebody's got an issue with AISH, with workers' compensation, with rental supports, then please call your constituency office. Office. Most uh, most MLAs make the decision to keep that open all the way through the election because they are nonpartisan, and then you'll be able to get some of those answers as well because we want to make sure people still feel supported. Premier Smith, it's been a pleasure. Um, we'll uh, well, not sure if we'll talk again. Well, how about this? I commit to you that uh, if I'm still you'll in this chair, I will be here. We'll be seeing you after June the first. All right, and this is the last show until after that election campaign. I'm Wayne Nelson. You have been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.